0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to K9's Talking Sense. I'm your host, Cameron Ford. K9's Talking Sense is the only podcast dedicated to everything detection dog related. So this is the last podcast for 2021, and I'm really looking forward to kind of covering... uh, This year in review, and I'm calling this podcast, The State of Detection Dogs. Uh, And before I even get to that, this podcast is in existence uh, thanks to all of you guys, all of the listeners out there who have followed our podcast, uh, enjoyed our guests. And this year we had a lot of really good guests. Um, Some have been... Very helpful with information sharing, like Doctor Lauren DeGrief that we just had on. Some have been um, very informative on the various different types of jobs that are out there now for detection dogs, and some of that we'll get into in this in this podcast. So this podcast is you're not going to have any guests. It's just me, and I want to kind of you know, take this time to kind of go over, you know, uh, everything we've done in 2021. And again, to show my appreciation to you guys, uh, the listeners who have just really helped this podcast explode, um, shared the podcast with their friends. um, And the most important thing is working on uh, sharing of information, making it easy to share this information with Everybody else, you know, there's a lot of new people that enter detection all the time and to have a resource where I have these guests that share all of these things when it comes to detection dogs has uh, been transformative. A lot of you guys have said how it's helped you. Um, things you've learned from the different and various guests that we've had on, the topics that we've covered. So again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much for making the third year of K9's Talking Sense a huge success. Uh, and we look forward to what's going to be ahead in 2022. So with that said, like I was saying, I wanted to discuss the state of detection. Kind of like a uh, my little play on the state of a union kind of thing. The state of detection in... And around not only the United States, but around the world, is really good. We have really grown as far as what detection dogs can do, uh, how we train them, how we utilize them. Uh, pretty much every facet has really grown when it came to detection dogs and development of this skill set. Uh, the desire to learn has fueled the growth, you know. Uh, and a number of different things, especially here at Ford canine. Um, we've had a lot of people reach out to us, uh, asking for information, um, how they go about classes. Canine cognition was been, a, it's been a huge one that we've done this past year and we're going to continue to grow. Um, The the business itself, Uh, I've heard you guys. You guys have asked for a lot more online learning. Um, So we have invested in a lot of things to help uh, the growth of education for everybody who's out there listening and those that want to learn more about detection. So of course, as many of you guys have seen, the website has transformed quite a bit this year. Um, it's going to be transforming even more with the online courses that start within the next month. Um, we also have lots and lots of new equipment when it comes to videos, so stay tuned to our YouTube channel as well as the website where we're going to have lots of new content that is all being shared via video, uh, high quality video. Lots of we have Q and As in Zoom uh, aspects going on. Um, And those that, you know, I got to do my shameless plug here, that those that want to stay informed and be a part of that, if you're not a member of the Ford Canine Club on our website, go join that because you're going to have access to newsletters, to the Zoom meetings, to the Q&A sessions, not just with me, but with my employees and with uh, other guests. I have some great people that work for me. And I need to thank uh, Natalie Morris And any Jessup and the volunteers that have come out and interned this past year, uh, without you guys, this would not have been possible. Um, We have a new edition that starts January 1st, and that is Lily Strasburg. Lily comes from the background of canine research and from the SAR community. Uh, Her background, she started, actually, the canine cognition that I teach, she was part of some of the original researchers that did that uh, out there at Duke University. She has also worked with Dr. Lucia Lazarowski at Auburn University. And even uh, Nathan Hall, Dr. Nathan Hall, had offered her a scholarship there at Texas Tech. Uh, She spent the past few years over at Search Dog Foundation uh, out in California, and like I said, she starts with us here very shortly. Uh, She'll be handling a lot of the training, some classes, she'll also be doing some of the research projects that we have going on here. So I hope everybody welcomes her, and you guys will have access to her as well as part of our staff here at Ford Canine. So... enough with all that kind of stuff. The state of detection, like I was saying is good. And there are a number of reasons why, uh, we have been really growing so much in detection. And that is because one of the aspects is the available information that's now out there for everybody. We have, uh, Various things such as social media in all the different, you know, whether it be YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, now TikTok, and on and on and on. I can't even barely keep up with all of them. I have to use them all the time. And it is a chore to say the least. But with that, social media has helped spread the word of a lot of good information. However, it is a double edged sword. It's a aspect, like I said, for information, but the downside can also be misinformation or just information that's only partially understood. And, you know, that causes sometimes controversy, but overall it has really pushed forward the growth of detection dogs. It has pushed forward the growth of dogs being used in other aspects, which we'll get to in a second. Um, It has really gone on the next topic I have, which is the research aspect. Research has grown significantly under the detection dogs. Like what can dogs do? How good are they? How good are their noses? What are they doing? Uh, What are they perceiving? All of these different things. Then there's the chemical side of the research. What are mixtures? What are particular odors that the dogs are trained to detect? What do they do? How long do they last? How long do they stay in an area? You know, on and on. There's a number of great research projects, and I myself have been lucky to be in a few of them. But with that, just like the social media aspect, there is a double-edged sword that comes with you know, doing the research. The research sometimes is uh, preliminary. It's a starting point. It's not the end-all be-all. There's a lot of times that we quote uh, research for our various needs and things that we want to um, make a point with or what have you. And that's good. But like any other research, you know, the joke I make a lot of times is, you know, one research uh, project states that coffee will lengthen your life. One cup of coffee a day will have you live longer. And then a month later, a research project comes out saying, if you drink coffee, coffee can uh, cause this disease and that disease. So research in general, when it comes to detection dogs is a growing field. And it's a field that's providing us information that is designed to help us. But a lot of times that research is in its infancy. Um, It doesn't necessarily prove something yet. Uh, It may substantiate a hypothesis, a belief, um, or it may dispel ones. And I think a lot of times some of the controversy that comes from research is the fact that it may go against a belief or an experience that we have had as a detection dog handler or trainer. And like with anything else when it gets challenged, we have our emotion get involved. And when the emotions get involved, it really kind of creates this thought process of you have to be on one side or another. And like with other dog training programs, you know, for example, the purely positive versus the balance trainers and so on and so forth. uh, Detection has had its lines in the sand. Uh, Whether are you a person who uses pseudo or are you a person who's real only? Uh, Do you use direct reward? Do you use indirect reward? We typically like to pick our arguments and we go for that and then we back it up with information that we find online and so on and so forth. And what I want all of us to really remember is there's actually more things that we are similar or we agree with than there are differences. And those differences, though minor, are made to be a very big deal. Because we want to have our tribe grow and then this side of the line is this big and that side of the line is that has that many followers and believers and so forth. And at the end of the day, nobody's exactly right and nobody is exactly wrong. Because one of those things that has really grown in detection dogs is actually understanding the dog in front of us. Which brings me to my next point, which is we have really grown in detection in understanding this dog in front of us, even understanding different breeds. One of the best podcasts of this year was with Craig Koshik and Bart Rogers, where we discussed the different breeds and discussed why they why they existed in the first place. Why did we use or gravitate to certain breeds versus others and so forth? So one of the first things that I would say that developed quite a bit over the past few years, not necessarily this year, but understanding breeds, what breeds should we use in detection? What breeds might be better for a certain type of detection over another? And it leads me to one of the uh, quotes that I say frequently and I've taken from somebody else is uh, probably Simon Prince, get the dog you need not necessarily the dog you want. And that happens by knowing our dogs better, uh, knowing the type of dog that would succeed in whatever that detection discipline is, understanding how to communicate and train that dog, and then how to utilize that dog. And part of that, as many of you guys know, comes into play when it goes into canine cognition. Canine cognition isn't anything related to breed, let's say. It's understanding that dog in front of you and how it learns. And that is, you know, a couple categories is memory versus inference, the ability to problem solve and try different things. When selecting dogs or looking at dogs for any number of different disciplines, we typically looked at things like drive and motivation, environmental stability, um, health, but we did not look into how a dog learns. We didn't really look heavily into the intelligence aspect. Canine cognition and the cognitive tests that I've shared, you know, throughout the past couple of years is one of the ways that we can evaluate that. Because there are things that we're going to see that we like in a dog, but let's say, I'll give an example, a a dog who's really strong or really motivated for a toy. On the surface, that looks great. And I could say that would make a really good detection dog. Downside to that is if the dog is so motivated for this, then it tends to go over threshold and get too worked up for that item. And when they reach over threshold, it inhibits learning and mental flexibility. And those are things that, depending on the dog's detection discipline, could prove to be extremely important. We need a dog who has mental flexibility. We need a dog who can maintain that level of impulse control so that way they can do their job more effectively. So, Understanding our particular dog, how to communicate to that dog and train it properly is one of the main things that has increased and we are seeing more and more dog teams become successful at their skill set. And getting into that skill set, the other thing I'm seeing that's starting to finally grow more in the United States, it's been something that's been in existence more frequently in Europe which is specialty detection dogs. Um, and and, you know, what comes from that is the mindset that we've always had, at least in more of the States than anywhere else is I need bang for my buck. What can my dog do? Can it do detection discipline X, Y, and Z? Um, can it do detection and a bunch of other things, you know, on and on. And, we have shown that many dogs can do many different disciplines. But what we see a a lot of times and what I see as a trainer and a speaker when I go around different places is, yes, they can. They can do these different things. But do they do these things well? Or do some of these things cause conflict with the other things? So, Let's just say the dog had a skill set that required the handler to be involved frequently, uh, giving directions, um, communicating, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden under detection discipline, the handler basically entrusts that dog to work independently of them, search an area and do so effectively, and then communicate to us when it has found something. You know, different detection disciplines have different levels of handler involvement for a various number of reasons. However, you know the we understand the more the dog is free to use its nose and to examine the environment, whatever the environment is, the better that that quote unquote the dog being a sensor is more effective or reliable with less handler influence. And that is one of the things that has been questioned more so legally over the past few years and more so this year was how much do the handlers uh, influence their dogs or how much has handler bias really influenced the outcome of the detection dog? And there's been various legal cases that have come up that have uh, you know brought into question various studies. Uh, Lisa lit study is a very famous one that gets brought up frequently. Um, and there is things that were brought up that were valid. And then there was things that can be looked at and said, okay, when we do this, uh, experiment or research again, what if we change these variables? And that was one of the things that I did with, uh, Dr. Nathan Hall and Dr. Mallory DeShant is we just took, you know, information or a idea that was, from the Lisa lit study just applied it slightly different um, and saw different results. So again, back to that point earlier about research, uh, research can have outcomes and then we can learn from that outcome, try a new variable and see what happens. So in this case, uh, the research that the three of us did along with some others um, got to demonstrate that yes, uh, handlers do have influence, but maybe not to the extent that we first believed or when you change the condition of information, this also helps handlers show that they are not overly influencing unless they do certain things. Um, We also discussed in that research, the uh, blind versus single blind versus double blind. And though, and they are valuable, both aspects are definitely valuable, but saying that you don't do a double blind does not make you unreliable. Um, having training that does test you uh, and meeting standards that are, I would say both testing of the dog and testing of the team under realistic conditions along with proper documentation of training is the keys to your success. And, you know, as I wrap up the knowing our dogs better, and then by knowing our dogs better, we don't feel the need to influence them so much. We allow them to work and do their job. We then took all this information, and one of the other areas that we have progressed in is standards. We've have improved standards over the past couple of years, uh, and we are still working diligently on increasing and you know refining aspects that we look for. I know a lot of people are starting to, uh, utilize the odor recognition testing far more than we ever used to. Uh, that is a component that is very helpful. And especially in certain types of detection and an odor recognition test is simply, you know, nothing more than a lineup, uh, or circle of odors. Let's say you put them out in a circle, what have you. And the dog smells each like, Item, The container, whatever it is, it can be a number of different things from glass jars to paint cans to shaker cans to you name it. Um, all of these like items contain something within them. And one of them should be or multiple will be target odor, along with proofing and distracting odors and blanks. And can the dog go down to these items and go, yes, no, yes, no, whether something's there or not. And that's a, you know, a baseline way of looking at does the dog know what odor it's supposed to detect, and can it signal to its handler through whatever the indication is uh, that it found the target odor? And, of course, can the handler read that and call that successfully? And that's one aspect as something that's being utilized more frequently, and it's not new per se. It's been around a long time in the bomb dog world. It was used frequently by the ATF. Um, It's used frequently in sport dogs these days, Um, but we're seeing it used more in other disciplines and we're seeing the growth of it being used more frequently in narcotics detection. The next phase of that uh, standards aspect is we are improving how we evaluate canine teams. There's still a long way to go, but we're moving the right direction with evaluating the team's. In a more realistic aspect to what they may do, whatever that job that team does, that's what we are starting to evaluate them on. So, for example, um, you know, instead of the typical way of, oh, here's five cars, three fines, the handlers know there's three fines, there's only five cars to search, the search area is much larger now. That would match their work environment. The other aspect is there's no longer consistent information as to how many specifically when it comes to fines are in your area. Now, more certifications are starting to utilize the terms between zero and however many. So let's say between zero and two hides may be present in this area. Key component is one of these different areas that the teams get evaluated under has no odor in it, and can that team successfully come out of that area and tell you there's nothing there? And as many of you guys have heard me, if you've attended my seminars or classes or webinars, it's much harder as a handler to walk out of an area and say nothing is there than to find something. Finding something is generally easier. It's much harder to walk out and have that confidence and go, this area has no odor in it. And But the more we work our dogs and we utilize some sound techniques and practices and push ourselves to be uncomfortable and to go through these aspects throughout our training, doing something like that isn't as hard as it sounds. Because at the end of the day, no matter what detection discipline you are doing, zero is a component you might have to deal with and you will deal with. Typically, and I'm trying to think of some kind of search where we're always going to find something, there's plenty of detection skill sets where we're not always going to find something. So we need to prepare this in training and we need to evaluate that as a uh, independent peer review, whatever you want to call it, you know, standard review of a canine team, detection dog team that's out there. So it is nice to see more and more of these uh, certifications or evaluations in introducing that component, because then that will also help bolster the team when they are reviewed from, let's say, a legal standpoint. When a subject matter expert may come in and review the records or review training or review videos of deployments and so forth, are you or have you been reviewed? And did your review you know, have a blank in it that was unknown to you and you successfully could do that? That's a pretty big thing. So that's nice to see our standards improving. The, um, you know, one of the things that another aspect that I would say has improved more significantly in the in the most current years, and specifically this year, and I'm one of them that's trying to do this, is how to breed and specifically for me raise dogs to become detection dogs. Much of the American side of the equation has utilized importing dogs from other countries to provide us dogs for a job. So bomb dogs, drug dogs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, We've utilized vendors who have imported dogs from Europe. These dogs are typically of an age, let's just say, you know, 10 months and older. Uh, These dogs have had some type of, you know, training or exposure. And then these dogs are selected to work for us. So, We have good genetics in the United States. Um, We have many talented trainers and people who know how to raise dogs. What we lacked was a process. That process is improving. We are seeing more uh, people out there sharing information on how to raise puppies. I know I'm doing it. Uh, I know Robin Grubel is doing it. Uh, those, I mean, her name pops up right up ahead because I know she's been doing some new pups right now. Um, and there's many others also doing it and they're sharing this information for all of us. So that way when somebody else gets one or someone decides to, Hey, you know what? I'm retired now. I don't have, uh, you know, anything to really occupy my time. Why not become a person who takes a pup and raises it to do a job later on. And the more that we share this information, not only the good things, but also the bad things, the things that we've made mistakes at, which is super important to share, uh, and show how to go about this so we can improve and refine our process in raising dogs to become detection dogs. So that's another aspect that has improved. It has a long way to go. There's still much, much more. Breeders are now getting better at you know looking at what is a good pup to potentially do whatever job. And there's a there was a used to be more frequently it's changing a little bit more now, but there was always the arguments uh, from uh, a segment of the industry that would say, oh, you know raising you know pups to become professional dogs in some form or another is far too costly. You, you know, so many dogs don't work out and so on and so forth. And that argument to me was valid years ago, a years ago. Now, I don't think that argument is as valid. And what I mean by that is again, thanks to the information that's out there and provided, we are better about raising these dogs We are better about which dogs to breed with to increase probability and success that more of the pups that are born become detection dogs or become, you know, whatever it is. You know, in this case, I'm speaking more about detection dogs, not necessarily your dual purpose or your patrol dogs. I I do agree that that's still a little harder to do, but not as hard as it used to be. Um, Being it, keeping it specific to detection dogs, this is now much more successful. And success is defined when it comes to this in various different ways. Um, You know, yes, in in one litter, I may only have, let's just say, one or two dogs that will go on to be a bomb dog. But there's other uh, pups in that litter that may go out to be a great dog for conservation detection or electronic detection or any number of other skills. So now that litter isn't just... Two dogs successful. That litter could be five, six, seven dogs successful. So success of you know a litter is defined not just by one discipline. It's defined by how many pups can go out and get into some form of detection, and that is much greater than it ever used to be. And you know, again, the key to that success was us knowing the breeds better, having a genetic history, knowing which dogs are good to breed with each other. And then, like I said, even more importantly is the process. There's always that argument of nature versus nurture. And in this case, you know, it is both. Um, it, it, it's paramount that the process of raising these puppies to become detection dogs includes a number of different things. And that's, again, many of you guys see through my social media or let's say somebody like, again, like Robin Grubel, who shares this information out there to others on what we do uh, to raise dogs to become successful uh, detection working dogs later on. And that's, you know, a, a key to that success and one of the things that has changed uh, dramatically uh, in recent times now as I, as I bridge that to the next thing, which is going to be training methods have enhanced and expanded quite a bit, uh, over the past, let's say half decade or so. Um, and it goes back to that statement I said earlier about drawing lines in the sand. Um, as we have improved our methods of communicating our methods of training, we have seen various levels of success utilizing different methods of training. It doesn't mean one method specifically is going to always be better than another method. Back to that point I made earlier, you have to train to that dog in front of you. My personal experience is, you know, many of you guys know I am a strong proponent of training, utilizing, and a marker bridge system. You know, it is a very highly effective and efficient system. I also teach frequently now, and this is an evolution for me personally, I utilize delayed conditioning versus simultaneous conditioning. Simultaneous conditioning is something I've used for more time than I've used delayed conditioning. You know, like everybody else, we were all instructed, many of us for many years, that you pair your reward with your odor. And that's simultaneous conditioning. Delayed conditioning is dog goes into odor first while they're in odor, reinforcement happens. And that has been something that's newer in uh, detection dog fields. Um, With that said, however, going back to that dog in front of me, not every dog does that really successfully. Some dogs can still struggle or some dogs may actually do a little bit better if I do simultaneous conditioning. So as a good trainer, I always recommend being flexible, understanding the various systems that are out there and doing what's best for that dog. You know, there's a lot of dog vendors, trainers, etc, that have their system. They, their system is their system and that's built them a business or that's built them a reputation. And they strive very strongly to really promote that way of doing it, doing whatever it is they how they train their dogs. What I recommend and a lot of the trainers who I highly respect, make modifications. They say, okay, maybe this system that I've built my whole business on is probably not the best for this dog. So let's go ahead and be flexible and utilize something different. And uh, one of my good friends, Eric Stambro, he runs the Working Dog Radio, or he's a co-host on Working Dog Radio. Um, he's one of the ones more recently, Howard Young is another one who's reached out who utilized a system of detection dog training, and it's been successful. It's proven it's, its success in various ways. However, both of those guys have also said to themselves, you know what? I think I have to make some changes. I have to make my toolbox bigger and have more tools, so therefore I can work with more dogs. And they've reached out to understand uh you know, different methods, you know, specifically, whether it be the marker system or delayed conditioning, et cetera, um, they have made strides to improve or diversify their toolbox. So those of you guys that are out there, whether you're a professional or sport, I strongly suggest looking at all kinds of things. There isn't just the one way, you know, even maybe if you started your dog on one path, but realize, you know what? Let me try to change something. Actually, a perfect example of that was kind of recently, uh, Gary Hicks from uh, Worthless Handler. Many of you guys know his brand, Worthless Handler. His dog was trained simultaneous conditioning, pay at source, and he decided, you know what? Let me try more of the marker bridge-based system of communicating to my dog when it has found odor in the reward sequence He shared that experience through his social media, and the amount of comments and engagement he got was huge, and I applauded him for sharing that experience because it wasn't perfectly smooth. You know, there was a learning curve. There were errors made both by what he did or the dog doing things. He shared that, which made him more relatable to many of the people out there that were on the edge themselves you know, man, I, you know, I, my dog was trained this way, but it's just not performing as good as it, I think it can, but it's scary to try something different. All of us have been there. You know, we may question what we see our dogs doing and we question, is this the better way? And I highly encourage you, you know, taking steps to learn things. And maybe sometimes you have to take that step forward and make that change. Try something different. Let's see if it works. You know, you do have to be careful that you don't just keep trying this and trying that and next thing you know you've tried five different things and now you have a really confused dog. I always encourage you to do your homework to understand the technique before you go trying it, but my main point being is I understand it. It's it's scary. To make that change, because in some cases it's not hard to do, you know, training wise, it's the peer pressure of making that change. What will my trainer think? What will my supervisor think? What will my fellow handlers think? You know, I'm not going to do it the same way that they're doing it, and that can be a problem. Are you going to be uh, an outcast because you did something different than your tribe does? Um, what I can recommend it's have a conversation. It's explore the options, be an advocate for your dog, be an advocate for what works best for your dog, because that is the critical component. Because again, it isn't a one size fits all when it comes to this type of work. It is what works best for my dog. Also, a thing to look at, what is effective and efficient for my dog. Not all of us handlers or trainers are created equal either. There may be limitations we face as a handler, and just by changing a simple way of communicating actually makes it better than trying to keep me doing the same thing. An example of that is I'm horrible, let's say, at throwing a ball, and if I keep hitting my dog in the head with the ball – or have horrible aim, what am I really doing to my dog by doing this versus utilizing an audible signal that means reward? You know, And that term is conditioned reinforcer. I have conditioned this signal to now mean the same thing as reward. And if you guys have heard the recent Police Canine Radio podcast where Armin Winkler was on there, one of the main things that's discussed is classical conditioning. And the question that gets brought up is, when the dog hears the bell, is that dog acting in anticipation of the the food, or is it acting as if food is present? And that becomes questionable. When you look at it, and as Armin points out, it is very valid, it's acting, when it hears the bell, it is acting as food is present. So think about this. Physiologically, the dog only drooled previously when food was present. So when we added the bell and the dog salivated, that is the dog physiologically acting as if food is present. And that was the example he gave. So food for thought for you guys, no pun intended, is to look at something, evaluate it, and say, is this something that will improve my skill set and improve my communication and performance in working my detection dog? even if it means I have to do something different than the rest of the group I train with because me and my dog are different. You know, we're not exactly going to be the same. No one's dog is going to be the same. Just like us, we all don't learn the same and the dogs all don't learn the same, which is one of the points I make in my cognition class. So just going out there, looking at now more of the training and education and methodology that are out there to train detection dogs has greatly improved and greatly diversified options for us as handlers. And that's one of the main things I think has been a really critical success in the use of detection dogs now uh, throughout the world. So which leads to the next point, growth of detection dogs in a number of different areas. And I will tell you right now, probably the number one area of growth in detection dogs is the utilization of dogs in conservation uh, or some form of environmental impact and how dogs can help us be better in identifying things like invasive species, uh, identifying things as leaks, whether it be oil leaks, water leaks um different entomology aspects, different types of um you have uh these dogs that detect uh newts in England, you have dogs that detect knotweed, you have dogs that detect mussels that are in various waterways. Um you have dogs that detect flaws in whiskey and wine barrels. You have dogs that can detect types of flaws in gems. And of course, the big one over the past couple years is the dogs that can detect COVID. So detection, without a doubt, has grown tremendously over the past uh, couple years and is growing leaps and bounds because, again, as we've expanded our knowledge and expanded our capabilities we've been able to utilize dogs in ways that we never did before and in conditions or in uh, aspects that we never even thought of before. Because at the end of the day is if it has an odor more than likely, you know, I won't say always and I won't say always and I won't say never, but the dogs can detect all kinds of things. The use of dogs in the medical career field has grown tremendously. I mean, there's more and more, like I said, not just COVID, but um, uh, the, the, there's, oh, I mean, I can think of there's a, there's a couple of them, whether it be the different types of cancers, um, the C. diff. There's all kinds of ways dogs are being utilized. Bed bugs has been popular for a number of years, and that is kind of resurging now. Um, I mean, again, growth is in the utilization of detection dogs is really amazing. And that has led to far more people being able to pursue a career in detection that before was typically thought of as you had to have military or law enforcement experience to get in detection. Not anymore. Definitely not anymore. There are a number of options available out there to utilize detection dogs in, in all kinds of ways, yes, of course, typically, you know, your first thought of is, is utilizing it for drug and bomb. But like I just said, look at all of the different conservation, ecology, entomology, uh, medical and so forth that give you opportunities for someone that's never been in, you know, law enforcement or military to find their way to become a handler, not only become a handler, become a trainer. You know, you can, you know, find now careers. It's still a growing field and it still takes work. You know, that's the one thing I want to remember. This stuff doesn't just happen. You have to put in the hustle. You have to put in the work. You have to network and you have to educate yourself and then get trained and then build your experience. And those things will get you jobs. Just because you went to Snoopy's dog training school doesn't mean you're going to automatically get hired. Like many people who reach out to me that want to attend one of our classes here at Ford Canine is there one of the first warnings I give them is just because you attended a class here, is it going to be a guarantee that you're going to get a job someplace? Your work ethic, your experience and how you demonstrate your skill and your desire to learn and your basically your relationship skills, all of these things play a role in you getting a job coming to me is just one of those steps. It shows that you took the initiative or it shows that you had the step that educated you to start making those, you know, next steps to finding that job out there. You know, you now have some education depending on how much you put into it, more about detection dogs, more about handling, handling techniques, reading dogs, so on and so forth, all of these different things. These things are, what are the keys to success. So whether it's being in the business world or being a detection dog handler, many of the same principles such as hard work and education and experience is what will get you there to get a job doing something you love doing like detection work. And then moves on to this next point, which is, <laughs> wow, the growth of diversity Within Detection Dog, handlers and trainers, specifically women, women have been knocking it out of the park in the Detection Dog world. You guys are killing it. You guys are growing leaps and bounds. I, I tell a lot of people I work with, especially some of the old salty guys that I know from many years, hey, I give it a decade, give or take, and I have a feeling half, maybe more, maybe a little less of your trainers in the detection dog field will be women. And that's not even exclusive to detection. I mean, I still am in a lot of the law enforcement segments um, and the amount of women working police patrol dogs, the amount of women doing uh, decoy work, um, you name it, women are running it. You know, it is a growth that I am happy to see. Because I will tell you, I'm the first to admit, uh, women in many aspects naturally are better at working detection dogs than men are. Women are nurturing. Women are forgiving. Women aren't worried about their ego when it comes to how their dog performs. Whereas men, yeah, we tend to let our ego get in the way. We want to prove the dog. We want to control the dog. And a lot of times those things do get in our way. I think we are also learning as men, the qualities that the women possess are actually things that we can improve upon. And I've seen many uh, men handlers change their ways, reduce the ego, understand they have to be vulnerable and this session may look bad, but I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to work my dog and the outcome is the outcome. And if we're smart, we have accountability for what happens and we take that lesson make changes and move forward. So one of the things that, like I said, is we are in a change and it's a good change to see these things because it all makes us better. You know, the, you know, we can all learn from each other. You know, one of the biggest things I do when I have my classes is we, we debrief when we run a training session, you know, we have a plan before we start the training session. And you guys are going to see more of that on my newsletters coming up. I call it nose calluses. We will discuss, you know, a lot of things I, I preach is foundation work and fundamentals. But, you know, if I don't care what you're building. Everybody talks about foundation fundamentals. You have a strong foundation. You have a good, you know, starting point. You don't even have that if you don't have a plan. Everything starts with a plan have a plan, and then execute that plan. Executing that plan starts off with building that solid foundation. How am I gonna get there? What am I gonna do? What are my benchmarks? What do I do to go get to the next step? I do the next step. I don't forget my fundamentals and foundations. And as this progresses, I always go back to my foundation and fundamentals. As this progresses, each step I follow the plan. Or if there's a change that needs to be made, we make the change to that plan so that way we can adapt and, and perform better or more efficiently for whatever the task is. So that's my little soapbox on that. And there'll be a lot more coming uh, where I talk about those things through my newsletters, podcasts, and so on and so forth. Um, and then I'll kind of wrap it up with the big announcement I made uh, about a month ago on the new detection dog sport called DDT, Detection Dog Trials. This now opens the door so that way all of us that do detection dogs can compete. We're no longer limited to this or that. Um, In a nutshell, there's a lot more to come out. There'll be tons of information to be shared. Uh, I'll throw the blurb out right now. If you go to DDT.dog, that will take you to basically the first step right now, which is collecting people's information and what you want to do in DDT. Do you want to be a club? Do you just want to be a member? Do you just want to be, or do you want to be create your, your four-person team? Do you want to be a judge? Do you want to be, you know, so we got to collect that information so that way as this grows, we'll be sending all this information out to those that have the interest in the different areas. So basically overview-wise, DDT has what we call day one, which is your specialty day. So that trial, that day, let's just say we have three bed bug handlers, two drug dog handlers, uh, five dog teams or six dog teams or 20 dog teams, whatever it is, that detect clove. And then you have uh, your dog teams that detect uh, gun oil or Dogs that are called pyro dogs that detect potassium nitrate, so things that are like in in flares or smoke, they call them smoke bombs, but it's just those little smoke uh, things you light and then smoke burns off of it. Um, Electronic detection dogs, you name it. So on the specialty day, you compete within your specialty. So however many dogs that are in your specialty, you compete against those. And we understand there will be some specialties that have a number of dog teams and maybe one specialty, let's say it's a conservation dog handler that shows up. They bring the training aid in at the appropriate time. The training aid is in their area. They might be the only one in their class. So, of course, they're going to win their class. No problem. You the, That specialty day is a day that you compete within your specialty. Then on the next day, we call it the open day. The open day is where those winners compete against each other and In whatever the element or elements are so let's say it's a building or open area search or both the odors are placed out there so each dog should only be finding or alerting to its odor so therefore we can have different odors out there that are non-target to your dog because they're nothing more than distracting odor In addition, there will be distracting odors. There will be things out there that are designed, whether it be cat food or whatever that judges uh, comes up with to put out in that area. Because the open day is, like I said, it's the day where everybody puts themselves out there and see how we can do. And one of the critical changes that we made or the differences between DDT and some of the other specialties are, yes, these are timed events. The other aspect is, We may we understand that throughout the day, and we also understand various odors do different things. So when it comes to when a handler calls an alert, the handler has up to one minute to basically point out to the judge the specific location they believe it's in. And if this is reasonable, basically what I mean by reasonable is if you had to find it on your own, you could find it in one minute or less. And Now we can kind of navigate that process of a dog that indicates maybe a couple feet away, but they're not wrong. The odor is collected down there. That's where the dog indicated because, again, this matches more or less real-world conditions. And would would it be reasonable that, based on your indication, would you have found that item within a minute or so of looking for it? So instead of now, or instead of what it used to be, your dog has to put his nose within an inch or two of the hide to be considered a find, we are taking a much more practical approach to this and doing, or utilizing reasonableness. So just like anything, and we will have elements, we call like the scavenger hunt competition where... Dog teams have to search the area, find whatever the item is, bring that item back, and it's used as part of problem solving, or it solves a puzzle that we give you guys. We also will have team competition. We call it best nose forward. So kind of like golf, you know, the dog that does best in each of those categories on your team gets you guys the points. And that's another fun way of doing that. Earning titles. How you go about earning titles in DDT? Well, it's on a points-based system. So if you compete in this trial, whatever it is, and you compete in this one element, and you got whatever place it is, you get X amount of points to that. As you build your points, you get your titles. And we start off just like the Olympics. There'll be the bronze, silver, and gold nose levels. We also will have specialty we call gem levels. So let's say doing a specific element like buried or submerged or um, inaccessible. There's different types of things. You earn points to get gems added to your your uh, bronze, silver, or gold. So all of this allows you to have more fun, uh, engage in your engage with your dog in a more realistic way, and compete where you have your hobbyist and your professional on the same playing field, doing the same types of search. Why not have more fun and promote detection? Make detection fun again. I want you guys to come to these events and have a blast. We, we're we not about winning. It's about gathering your points and it's about doing stuff with your dog. You gain your title with your points. Obviously, dogs who, let's say, place first or the dog who's the top dog of the Open that day or that weekend uh, gets a lot of points. And... But if you actually show up and run your dog, you gain points and you gain points. And then, like I said, the more points you gain, the more it brings you to gaining your title. So uh, that's just a very loose overview. There's going to be lots of rules about how to become a judge, how to become a steward or, or part of organizing or, or helping uh, host an event, how to be a club, how to be a, a, a dog team, a four person dog team, and a real quick Uh, I'll I'll add a rule or let you guys know a rule that Um, the four person dog teams, uh, when you compete as a team, that dog can only compete on that team. You can't have one dog compete on multiple teams. You can't have a ringer and bring him in to compete on multiple teams. So whatever team you're in, that's a team you're on until your team breaks up or you guys submit a new team. Uh, But the, you're limited to the team you compete with. Um, The, like I said, these are, these are uh, a loose overview of, of what to expect, but in the coming months, uh, by February, we will have all of these rules out there, how to go to the website. If you want to be a judge, you submit your resume and background. Um, there's going to be a process. Uh, there'll be some online portion of things that you have to complete. Um, and so on. So, uh, please, like I said, go check out DDT.dog on the internet. And go sign up, so that way we can start giving this information out to all you guys when this is ready. So this will conclude me rambling and talking to all of you guys. I again can't thank you enough for a great twenty twenty one. I hope everybody had a great Christmas, and I really look forward to hearing from you guys. Please tell me who do you want me to interview this coming up year for year four of Canines Talking Sense. What are some topics that you would like to hear me talk about? Um, what some, What are some of the webinars that you guys want to see either from guests that I've had on here or even from me? Um, I want your feedback. I want your interaction. Uh, go to the YouTube channel. Obviously, co- make comments on here. Also, just simply go to the website and email me. Info, I N F O at Ford K number nine dot com. So, info at Ford K nine com. Tell me what you're looking for. Tell me who you want to hear from. uh Tell me things you want to learn about. And we will start pushing that content out to you guys on this podcast, on our Facebook page. Go find the group K Nines talking sense on Facebook. It's a group that's grown tremendously. There's a lot of good topics to get talked about on there. So, again, Thank you guys for an amazing 2021, and I look forward to seeing you guys in 2022. Thank you for listening to K9's Talking Sense, where it's okay to be nosy.